Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, mom, Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available pro-access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available Pro Power onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. BTK, Bind, Torture, Kill. The name Wichita serial killer Dennis Rader gave to himself in the 1970s in letters sent into the Wichita press, where BTK would flaunt his crimes and taunt the police. He made a city live in fear and then took a job at ADT, installing security systems for people afraid of the crimes he had committed. He tormented Wichita for three decades, strangling men, women, and children, but mostly women, leaving blood and semen and dead bodies in his wake. And then afterwards, he'd send in letters and even poems with the gruesome details of his crimes. And all the while, he raised two kids and was, by all accounts, a great father, great husband, who also became president of his local Lutheran church, volunteered with the Cub Scouts, taught his kids how to fish, ate at home during his lunch break to save money for the fam. Is it possible to be a good family man and also be a cold-blooded, sadistic murderer? Kind of. Dennis Rader is living proof. And you're going to become very familiar with his many, many horrific crimes about two hours from now if you don't stop listening to this serial killer edition of Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Welcome to Time Suck, Time Suckers. Happy Monday. Happy whatever day that happens to be when you're listening. I'm Dan Cummins, and this is Time Suck. I've been throwing in too many announcements again in the beginning of these episodes lately, not getting back to the story quick enough. So you know what? Today, moving faster. A few tour date announcements, and then we're on to BTK. All other announcements regarding the the last sale we just had and all this other stuff uh, uh, will be at the end before the Time Sucker updates. So I'm going to be at Dr. Grin's in Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, this weekend, November 30th through December 2nd. Next week at the St. Louis Funny Bone in St. Louis, Missouri, December 7th through the 10th. Following that, Appleton, Wisconsin, one night only, December 13th, Skyline Comedy Club. Then the rest of that week, I'll be in Madison, Wisconsin, at the Comedy Club on State, uh, December 14th through 16th. Finish off the year at the Comedy Works in Denver, Colorado, December 28th through New Year's Eve. 
2018 tour dates uh, being posted now at dancummins.tv, which you can link to uh, from timesuckpodcast.com. Morty's Comedy Joint in Indianapolis, January 5th and 6th. Comedy Connection in Providence, Rhode Island, January 19th through 20. Cabot Comedy Club in Chicopee, Massachusetts, January 21st. And then the Punchline in Philly, January 27th. Uh, January 25th through the 27th. And then and then on after that. I'm gonna be a I'm gonna be a busy son of a bitch for a while. Got to uh got a lot of work to do. Uh ticket links in the episode description. And of course, uh Detroit on February 16th, 2018. Uh it's a magic bag. Pre-buy those now so me and the guys from Small Town Murder can do a swap cast. Right? Add that to that Motor City show, and then hopefully duplicate it around the country. Uh and now in record time for time suck, we're back to the topic, diving right in to a time suck timeline. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a time suck timeline. Dennis Lynn Raider was born in a quiet corner of hell on March 9th, 1945. His dad was a mid-tier demon stuck in a supervisory role with very little chance for career advancement in the I think I feel something watching me mildly terrifying department, American Midwest Division of Hell. His mother was a lost soul, sent to hell for letting her kids watch too much TV, read one too many trashy romance novels for, for God's tastes. So, you know, he was teased quite a bit by the other young miscreants of Satan's lair for not being raised by more respectable, super fucking scary monsters. Even Lucifina herself wanted nothing to do with young Dennis. No. Uh, he was born on March 9th, 1945, uh, but he was born close to where Kansas, Oklahoma, and Missouri all meet in the little town of Pittsburgh, Kansas, which is a lot like Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, minus anything interesting or fun. Pittsburgh, Kansas is the most populous city in Crawford County, with, as of the 2010 census, a population of 20,233 people. 17,000 of those people, in a survey not yet conducted, said they would strongly prefer to live somewhere anywhere else. Pittsburgh started as a railroad town in 1876 and is home to Pittsburgh State University, a school I'm pretty sure I performed at at one time, where I'm pretty sure I made fun of their mascot, Gus the Gorilla. Go Gorillas! God, that does not roll off the tongue, does it? They're the only college in the country with a gorilla for a mascot in a town where there are no actual gorillas. Interesting choice. I guess they're no weirder than, uh, than a lot of other mascots. Uh, you know, it's not like Oakland has a large pirate, you know, problem they're dealing with that would explain the Raiders. Cool as shit, though, if they did. Can you imagine if you had to be careful boating around San Francisco and Oakland because there was a crazy amount of pirates in the water out there in the bay? Even better if they were traditional 17th century pirates. It's our mateys. Let us pray for fruit to stave off the scurvy today and the yacht of some foolish dot-com insta-millionaire to plunder. Let us fill their Snapchat feed with blood and terror. Blimey! They'll sign over a majority ownership or we'll blow the man down to David Jones' locker. Uh, Pittsburgh is 87% white. Every Labor Day weekend, they host the, uh, the Little Balkan Days Festival where young children are forced to dress in strange outfits and do weird dances in celebration of the town's uh, uh, European ancestors, mining a shit ton of coal from around 1880 to around 1920. Uh, because so many of the residents of the area came from the Balkan region of Europe to work the coal mines, the coal fields became known as the Balkans of Kansas. And now, in honor of that heritage, a lot of sausages are eaten. There's a classic car show, quilt raffle, cakewalk, a lot of other really fun, authentic Balkan happenings. They could not get enough of classic American 1950s automobiles in the Balkan region of Europe in the 19th century. So, you know, book your tickets now. Uh, Dennis uh, was the first of four sons born to William and Dorothea Rader. He was baptized at Zion Lutheran Church in Pittsburgh. His uh, father was a member of the U.S. Marine Corps, uh, who later worked for the electric utility KG&E starting in 1948. 
family moved to the largest city in Kansas, Wichita. Uh, you know, Wichita, which uh, when Dennis was a young boy, around a quarter of a million Midwest blue-collar Americans living in Wichita at that time. Uh, the Raiders settled into a modest but pleasant home on North Seneca Street. As a young kid, Dennis appeared outwardly at least pretty, you know, uh, normal. Uh, joined the Boy Scouts, participated in church youth group activities. He attended Riverview Elementary School, uh, where he was an average to mediocre student with withdrawn tendencies. By his own admission, uh, he says he developed fantasies about bondage, control, and torture from an early age while still in grade school. After hitting puberty and becoming sexual, he, he dreamed of tying girls up and having his way with them. You know, like all, like all boys do, right? Just part of life. You hit puberty, uh, you get a boner, and then you start thinking, how do I get these girls I keep seeing in class and at recess tied up and trapped in my basement, pleading for their lives? He was a fucked up kid. Uh, he got aroused when his mom spanked him. When Raider visited his grandparents' farm when he was young, he, he'd, wa- he'd watch with fascination as chickens were slaughtered. One day, uh, he got a hold of a cat and he hanged it. And then he hanged some more critters around the farm. And he loved it. He loved watching them die. He enjoyed the control that comes along with taking something's life. Like that power. You ever see that old uh, 1993 Macaulay Culkin, Elijah Wood movie, The Good Son? Well, it, it actually might be uh, Macaulay's uh, best flick. Uh, good movie. I haven't seen it in a number of years, but I remember it being a very good movie. Uh, and he plays this little bastard, Henry, uh, who is essentially just born evil. You know, nature won out in a nature versus nurture battle, and, and Henry's nature is just bad to the bone. Uh, good parents, no early trauma, just uh, just born wicked. Well, Dennis Rader seems to have been born uh, horrific as well. Just just truly a bad seed. So weird how certain people uh, you know develop the fantasies they do. Uh, young Dennis developed a crush on TV and movie star Annette Funicello, and his crush, unlike what I'm hoping, uh, is the fantasies of most boys involved bondage. Annette was a child star, only three years older than Dennis, who was one of the most popular members of the Mickey Mouse Club. And then she became a teen pop singer, charting such hits as Tall Paul and Pineapple Princess. Do you remember Pineapple Princess? No? You don't have that on several of your Spotify playlists? Well, here's a little taste of that ditty. Yeah. Pineapple Princess. Mm-hmm. He called me Pineapple Princess mm. You know, if if I would have heard that song, I also would have fantasized about tying Annette up in my basement. But the motivation uh, would not have been sexual. I, I just would have wanted to keep her from releasing another song like that. I might en- I might end up hearing on the radio. That was terrible. I will say though, uh, super hot. She was super hot as a young adult. Uh, to be very clear, as a young adult, not when she was a mouseketeer. Uh, Dennis also learned uh, to keep his developing inner world of bondage, torture, and death fantasies a secret from everybody. Again, so strange the way we all develop, you know? I, I really was expecting to find some reference to him being molested or tied up himself as a kid, you know, severely abused to somehow explain his strange fantasies and what he'd later do. Uh, but nothing comes up. By all accounts, in his own admission, he seemed to have a pretty normal childhood. Couldn't find a single mention, a lot of searching about, you know, some abusive alcoholic father, some deadbeat dad that wasn't around, some dominating verbally abusive mom, some traumatic divorce that ripped his world apart as a kid. I mean, his mom was uber-religious. You know, his parents were strict. You know, his, mo- his mom did tell him after finding some semen-stained underwear when he was going through puberty that masturbation was a sin and that if he kept doing it, God would come and kill him. That's pretty hardcore, pretty fucked up, but sadly, probably not that uncommon for a kid to hear something like that in a religious fundamentalist household in the 1950s or 1960s. You know, I'm sure a lot of kids, you know, still hear nonsense like that, and the overwhelming majority of them do not go on to kill or even have severe psychological problems when they get older. 
Uh, Dennis also came across some bondage-themed porno mags as a kid, images that left quite an impression on him, but I don't think you can blame porn on becoming the BTK killer. Like, that always bothered me when Bundy tried to blame his, you know, his murders on porn. It's like, fuck you, dude. You just you just chose to be a monster. You chose that, you know? Uh, it's, I think it's uh, the porn thing with these killers. It's one of those, like, what came first, chicken or the egg type of arguments. You know, did, did porn give him violent sexual fantasies that he suddenly just, you know, had to give into, or did he love the images he saw because he already had violent fantasies he was going to carry out anyway? Total speculation here, but I think the porn could have given shape to various acts he already wanted to commit in some form. You know, take away the pictures, and he, he's still going to do something sexually terrible, I think. Uh, if porn could compel us to carry out the acts we see and acted in some fantasy way in photos or videos, uh, society would be in far worse shape than it is in now. Uh, rape would spike by, by about a million percent, you know? I, I've seen, you know, photos here and there of shit that I've never, ever wanted to actually do myself. And, and I'm sure a lot of other people are in that same category. Some people, I feel like, unfortunately, just cannot draw a firm line between fantasy and reality. And when those people have dark fantasies, well, they end up doing some dark shit. Uh, regardless, you know, of what magazine or website I think they happen to look at. The oddest account of his, his childhood I could find in various uh, books and interviews from sources other than, you know, uh, Raider himself. I almost laughed there. Uh, Spellcheck was constantly trying in my notes uh, to <laughs> to uh, to correct his name and turn it into Vader, like Darth Vader. It's very weird to think of, you know, uh, a, a bondage-fascinated, you know, Darth Vader instead of using the Force, you know. Well, I guess he did, you know, use the Force to choke people. So, you know, Raider, Vader, I guess some similarities. Uh, now, now I'm picturing, you know, uh, Vader taking off his mask now in that one famous scene where he tells Luke that he's, that he's his dad and he's got like a fucking, he has to also take out the, the, the gimp ball, the, the little, the little weird rubber ball in his mouth, whatever. Okay. I'm like, <laughs> get away from that. This, that was not part of the plan. Um, but I guess, you know, the weirdest thing was that, that Raider had no sense of humor. Uh, he was socially withdrawn, quiet. You know, it's like that odd, odd cliche or old cliche that, you know, it's the quiet ones you have to watch out for, especially the quiet ones quietly hanging cats on their grandparents' farm. Uh, no early trauma, no murders, or, you know, origin story, if you will. It's, it's, I think that's one of the scariest things about BTK. It's laid out in the book, Bind, Torture, Kill, the inside story of BTK, the serial killer next door. It says, the fact is some people kill for no reason, and many people from broken or alcoholic or single-parent homes turn out well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he, you know, his story also reminds me of a kid I recently heard about from someone I know very well. Uh, this person I know recently made a decision to keep their kid away, at least unsupervised, from this other kid basically permanently. Because this other kid, uh, who's only around six years old, has been doing a ton of really creepy, sexual, aggressive shit lately. Uh, not only extremely age-inappropriate stuff, but stuff inappropriate for any age. Stuff in the realm of violent sexuality. And there's no evidence, at least not yet, after counselors' visits and all kinds of stuff... Uh, that anything similar has ever been done to this kid, that this kid has ever been victimized. Uh, and and I'm, I'm keeping things a little vague out of respect for the people involved. But it's kind of like, again, that Macaulay Culkin, you know, Raider. It's just, God, you know, some people are just fucking born monsters despite the environment they grow up in, which is terrifying as a parent, you know? It would be much, much more satisfying to, to think that if we only just, you know, knew the cause, like with, like with the disease, we could work on prevention and work on a cure for these kind of people. But if they're born evil, there's nothing you can do about it. You know, you can, can you can create a totally stable, loving home environment and still end up with a fucking monster. Not enjoyable to think about. Uh, young Dennis was odd, but not alarming. Those who knew him personally described him as quiet, polite, preferred to keep to himself, didn't show interest in music at the times, you know, I guess outside of Annette. 
his, his Mouseketeer singer. Uh, you know, he chose his words before speaking, gave you his full attention as he spoke. He sometimes tried to tie you up and choke you to death when parents and teachers and other authority figures weren't looking. You know, no red flags. No, but really, there weren't any red flags. He, he had started to engage in a little peeping Tom foolery in high school on his own, but I don't think that's that unusual. You know, a lot of, a lot of peeping done by teen boys out there, lady suckers. Beware. Have some good blinds. Have some good drapes. I want to close them when you walk around naked around the house. You know, if you, if you do that, you might want to make sure the window's shut in your bathroom when you shower. Uh, might, want to, might want to make sure the, uh, the bedroom blinds are, are drawn tight when you're changing. If you've, if you've ever noticed a teen, teen boy in your neighborhood. They are walking boners. And if there is a boob to be seen, by God, they're going to see it. Uh, 1963, Dennis, Dennis graduated from Wichita Heights High School. He worked at a local supermarket where he often got yelled at for taking way too much time tying off the trash bags before carrying them out to the dumpster. He would just tie knot after knot after knot, just moaning while he did it. You like that trash bag? Mm, you like it when I tie you so tight? Yeah, you do. You want me to tie you up so tight? He'd even carry the trash bag outside by, by hanging it off his massive, massive uh, bondage boner. And his supervisor would have to be like, hey, hey, Dennis, when you take the trash out, less knots, buddy. A lot less boner. It's a grocery store, not a carnival sideshow training center, okay? None of that happened, other than he did work at the grocery store. Uh, and he continued to live at home. Uh, so again, you know, doubtful his home life was terrible if he kept living there for a couple years after graduating from high school. Uh, he did admit, at least in one of his many letters to police before he got caught, that around this time, he'd sneak into a, a neighbor's homes uh, and, you know, and steal some pennies. Do a little sniffing. Do a little stranger penny swiping, a little stranger penny sniffing. Some sexual deviant 101 stuff. 1965, he entered Kansas Wesleyan College in Salina. Go Coyotes! Uh, 90 miles away, Salinas was just too far from Wichita to live at home. He was a mediocre student there with poor grades. Uh, he was a top student in the How to Be a Sneaky Creep 101 class, though. Uh, forced to work in order to support himself, he was constantly busy. Even reportedly returned to Wichita on the weekends to continue his supermarket job. Got to tie and retie those sexy ass trash bags. Uh, he also joined a fraternity for a brief time. Tried to reinvent himself as a little more of an extrovert. Didn't work. According to the, some journals he kept, it was during this period that he first started trolling for victims he wanted to do harm to. Although there was, there was no mention of of actually you know uh, any real attempts, any success in this regard, he did, however, uh, however, successfully break and enter into homes and buildings, swiping more trophies like you know panties, and he and he found this deviant behavior exhilarating, and he continued his peeping tom ways. I wonder what some of these monsters. A part of the deal is they're they're just super fucked up thrill junkies, you know. I remember the thrill I got when I stole stuff in high school. You knew if you got caught, there'd be a huge price to pay. The legal trouble being the least of it. There'd be the shame at home, the family punishment, the grounding, the loss of privileges, loss of respect in the eyes of family members, social repercussions at school, loss of, you know, reputation. Uh, you know, loss of reputation as being a good person was troubling for me. And, you know, honestly, all that risk made the act of taking something, you know, a, a rush. You know, if, if uh, Dennis didn't value human life any more than I valued private property when I was a teen, I guess murder would have provided a substantially bigger rush for him. You know, he's risking his, his entire family saying goodbye to him forever, risking his freedom forever, risking his, his life and legacy. In the summer of 1966, at age 21, Raider joined the U.S. Air Force. He was sent to Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio, Texas, for basic training. Spent time at Shepard Air Force Base in Wichita Falls, Texas, while doing technical training there. In early 1967, he's stationed at Brookley Air Force Base in Mobile, Alabama, and appears to have been there until January 1968, when he was sent to Kadena Air Force Base in Okinawa in the West Pacific. He remained stationed in Okinawa for six months, 
In July 1968, he was moved to mainland Japan, stationed at the large uh, Tachikawa Air Base located near Tokyo. He appears to have been based there until the end of his service in 1970. By his own description, he also spent time in Korea, Greece, and Turkey while serving in the Air Force. And when you see pictures of him from this area, from this era, uh, he's a handsome dude, you know, which makes his story even scarier to me in the way that kind of Bundy scared me. He wasn't some creepy-looking, bug-eyed fucking maniac, you know, where you can be like, oh, totally. I can totally see that guy choking out a family. Look at him. Look at him. He's walking on his tiptoes. He's creeping around. One of his eyes is bigger than the other by a lot. His teeth are pointy and yellow. He has blood on his hands, which look like claws more than hands. His skin is insanely pale, like he only comes outside to murder. He's wearing a t-shirt, for Christ's sake, that says, the only good girl is a dead girl. That's the guy we need to watch out for. If we can avoid him, we'll all be fine. In the Air Force, Raider uh, attained the rank of sergeant, working on the installation of antenna equipment, among other non-combat tasks. By his own description, it was during this period that he started having sexual relations, using local prostitutes, attempting to get them to allow uh, him to tie them up, and failing. Uh, Smart women. They weren't into it. I wonder how things would have gone if his initial attempts at bondage uh, were successful, you know? Like, what if he would have found some girl? Some girl's really into some kinky shit. Would would that have been enough to satisfy his urges? Keep him from acting out and murdering, you know, later on? I I doubt it. I I think murder was part of the fantasy. You know, I think the bondage fix, if anything, might have just accelerated his progression along his dark path. You know, he wanted to watch women struggle for, for air, and then fail at getting some the same way he watched those those cats get hanged back on the farm. Uh, he also stalked women he fantasized about tying up, and according to his journals, and later admissions, never actually got a hold of these, any, uh, any of these women again. Uh, he did describe one incident where he was successfully broken into the base library, pilfered a book there, as always, you know, he never got caught. Think about never getting caught as contributing to his later crimes, you know? What if early on he would have gotten caught breaking into some place, stealing some panties or something? Maybe the shame his family would have felt for him, maybe would have uh, deterred him from future crimes. I guess we'll never know, but uh, again, I doubt it. I think the urge to kill was just there. It was rooted, and there was nothing going to, you know, unroot it. Uh, one former buddy from those times was totally shocked when he found out Raider was BTK in 2005. Said Dennis was just one of the guys, sort of blended in. And I'm sure on the surface level, he, you know, he did, which again makes these people <laughs> that, that much scarier. You know, it's not like they're ever going to lean over and reveal who they are, just, you know, at a, at a, at a bar, you know, in between drinks. It's, hey, hey, buddy, I know I seem pretty chill, but first chance I get, someone is going to fucking die here. Uh, Raider received the Air Force Good Conduct Medal, the Small Arms Expert Marksmanship Ribbon, and the National Defense Service Medal, was discharged from active duty in the summer of 1970, and returned home uh, to Wichita. Uh, He would serve two more years there in the reserves. Once back in Wichita and done with active duty, Dennis went back to school, studying electronics at Butler Community College, 25 miles away in El Dorado, Kansas, and he ran into Paula Dietz, a fellow Lutheran three years younger than Dennis who had attended the same high school as he did, uh, he remembered wanting to tie her up, torture and kill her back in high school, but now he thought, you know, maybe I should marry her instead. So he flipped a coin. Heads, they get married, raise a family. Tails, she, you know, she gets tied up and destroyed. And uh, heads, heads it was. No, not sure what made him choose her for marriage and choose others for his dark fantasies. Guessing she appealed to his decent public side, you know, and he could find others to to feed his, his dark hunger. Uh, less than a year after his return to Wichita, on May 22, 1971, Dennis Rader and Paula Dietz were married and settled in Park City, Kansas, not far from the Rader home in North Wichita. In a little suburb, Dennis was working in the meat department of the IGA supermarket. Paula was a bookkeeper. Old Dennis, back at the grocery store, throwing meat in a garbage bag and tying so many fucking knots. So rock hard from all those sexy knots. Uh, 1972, Rader went to work at the Coleman Company, a manufacturing 
uh, company manufacturer of camping supplies, Wichita's largest employer at the time. He worked 13 months there until 19, uh, July of 1973. He then found employment with Cessna, a small aircraft manufacturer. You know, until uh, just the past few years, Wichita enjoyed status as the air capital of the world. Uh, I did not know that. Boeing, Cessna, Beach, Learjet, more aviation companies all had huge manufacturing centers there. Uh, there still are a lot of aviation industry jobs there. Wichita manufactured and sent 1,600 B-29 Super Fortress bombers to World War II. 1,600! Did not know that either. Uh, my only experience with Wichita was years ago at a comedy club called the Looney Bin, and that club was a shithole. And Coleman, the camping uh, supply company I've bought a lot of gear over, uh, from over the years, founded and headquartered in Wichita. Its founder, William Coffin Coleman, was the mayor of Wichita in 1923 and 1924. Back when Dennis worked there, it still actually manufactured most of its goods in America uh, as opposed to China, you know, like it does now. Man, Coffin, what a fucked up middle name. What, what should his middle name be, Pa? Coffin. I told you I didn't want any more children, Mrs. Coleman. Coffin shall be his middle name, and I think his first name should be Can't Wait to Bury Him in His. You know, life was good uh, for most people in Wichita. Tons of solid American companies providing thousands of good-paying white and blue-collar jobs. Pizza Hut kicked off in Wichita in 1958. Koch Industries, Cargill, the two largestly, uh, largest privately held companies in the U.S., both operate headquarter facilities in Wichita. Uh, the cost of living in Wichita below average compared to a, a U.S. average of 100. The cost of living index for the city is 84. As of 2013, the median home value in the city was 117500 Median selected monthly owner cost was uh, just under 1200 for housing units with a mortgage and $419 for those without. The median gross rent was $690. Uh, however, out of a, a, a U.S. News and World Report study of the best U.S. cities to live in 2015, uh, Wichita did rank near the bottom in that study. Out of 62 cities, it ranked 60th in education, ranked 51st uh, for health. Tulsa was dead last in education. Memphis was second to last. But you know what? If you don't care about your health or your smarts, get your ass to Wichita. Get on, get on over there. Go on, get. Get a job at Cargill. Eat double fried french fries. Read nothing but memes and pamphlets. Uh, but back to Raider. He was living in a city of about a quarter of a million people, average crime rate, good jobs, house in the suburbs, very average, you know, American life. He had a good job, girl he went to high school with, whose parents were Lutherans just like his. You might as well dress the son of a bitch in a Stars and Stripes tracksuit. He was living the American dream. 1973, Raider earned a, an associate's degree, a two-year degree in electronics from Butler County Community College. In the fall of 73, Raider began his studies at Wichita State University. Go Shockers! Had to go after that bachelor's, taking some night classes. Oh, Wooshock, one of the creepiest-looking mascots uh, in all of American higher learning. It's supposed to be a shock of wheat. How sad is that for a mascot, by the way? Not a bulldog, not a dragon, not a, not a goddamn Viking warrior, a shock of wheat. But he, but he doesn't look like a shock of wheat. He looks like a psychopathic killer, honestly. He looks like a serial killer. Look, look up that demented, angry-looking son of a bitch, Wooshock, if you doubt me. Then, uh, in, the late, in late 1973... Uh, during the oil embargo crisis, aircraft sales plummeted, and he was let go of. Uh, he was let go by Cessna. The, the embargo began in October 1973 when members of the Organization of Arab Petroleum Exporting Countries proclaimed an oil embargo. The embargo was targeted at nations perceived as supporting Israel during the Yom Kippur War. Uh, the initial nations targeted were Canada, Japan, the Netherlands, the United Kingdom, United States. By the end of the embargo in March 1974, the price of oil had risen from U.S. $3 per barrel to nearly $12 globally. U.S. prices were significantly higher. Incidentally, with inf inflation taken into account, uh, gas has been, on average, more expensive in the U.S. the past few years. 
than it was during the crisis of 1973. And we have no crisis right now. Why do we get fucked over by oil companies year after year after year at the gas pumps? Need to suck on that someday for sure. Anywho, uh, Vader gets laid off in 1973, finds himself unemployed with time on his hands. He slips deeper into his bondage fantasies. A world he's known since childhood starts to get, you know, starts to really, really want to know what would it feel like to strangle somebody to death? You know, to tie him up and then strangle him. In, in early 1974, unemployed Dennis drives his wife to work and spends his days trolling around Wichita, picking women and girls who, you know, catch his eye and he starts following them. He starts practicing his stalking skills, taking notes. You know, wonders what it would be like to pluck one of these women from the street, from their home, and just snuff their light out. He's like an athlete practicing for a very evil sport of capture, torture, and murder. Uh, a Hispanic family, the Oteros, had just moved into a corner house at Edgemore and Murdoch in one of the neighborhoods Dennis trolled. Joe, 38, and Julie, 34, uh, had lived in Camden, New Jersey, and then the Panama Canal Zone for seven years, and then their native Puerto Rico with relatives for a few months. They had bought their house in Wichita only 10 months earlier, Wichita was, as I laid out earlier, big airplane manufacturing center, and this was perfect for Joe Otero. Uh, he'd retired as a technical sergeant after 20 years in the U.S. Air Force, now worked on airplanes and taught flying at Cook Field, a few miles outside of Wichita. The Oteros had five kids, Charlie, 15, Danny, 14, Joey, 9, Carmen, 13, and Josie, 11. And they were not traditional serial killer victims. You know, Joe had been a champion boxer in Spanish Harlem. Julie practiced judo and taught judo to the kids. Joe knew how to use gun. They had a large dog in the yard to keep an eye out from intruders. But Dennis had seen little Josie and decided he had to have her. Josie Otero, 11 years old, just beginning to hit puberty, 5'4", 115 pounds, already as tall as her dad, taller than her mom. She wore glasses and wrote poetry, drew pictures and worried about her looks, just started wearing a bra, growing her hair out. Josie woke up that morning. Dennis Rader uh, crept to her back door, holding a handgun, and saw something that made him sweat a paw print in the snowy backyard. He had not expected a dog. He pulled his Colt Woodsman 22 from the waistband, slunk into the garage wall. In the house, Josie just pulled on a blue T-shirt, walked from her room to the kitchen. It was a short walk. It was a small house. Her mom, Julie, was in the kitchen wearing a blue house coat. She had to set the table, putting out cereal and milk for breakfast, tins of potted meat for school lunch sandwiches. Joe was eating canned pears. Raider had stalked them for weeks, and he'd taken notes. He followed Julie several times as she drove Josie and Joey to school. He knew that they left about 8.45, and then it took Julie seven minutes to get back home. He knew the husband left for work around 8 a.m. He did not want to confront the husband, so he timed his own arrival for about 8.20. The husband should be gone. The boy would be there, but he was incidental to the plan. He could kill the boy, uh, but he didn't want him. He wanted the girl. He wanted Josie. And now, on January 15th, just after 8 a.m., Dennis was on the Otero property. He cut the phone line. He barged into the back door, did not find things as he expected them. Joe was there. Raider ordered Joey to put the dog in the backyard at gunpoint. He told him he wanted to, uh, he was a wanted criminal, and he just needed some money, some food, and a car to escape. At first, Joe was dumbfounded, asked him if there's some kind of joke set up by his brother-in-law. Raider ordered everyone to lie down in the living room, then change his mind and sent them all into a bedroom. Using his vagrant story, he was able to keep the Oteros calm enough to get them all tied up with some cords he'd brought over in his homemade bondage kind of murder kit. Pre-cut cords, already knotted. He told him he just needed money to get out of town. He was on the run. Authorities were looking for him. He'd just take his money. He'd be on his way, and he just had to tie them up, you know, before he left so he'd have time to escape before they called the authorities. Well, this sick fuck had no intentions of letting anyone escape. Dennis would later say in court that he just wanted the girl, that initially he was just going to tie everybody up and let them live, but then he realized he hadn't worn a mask, and, you know, they'd seen his face and they could identify him, and then he decided to kill them all. 
bullshit. He knew from the second he entered that house that everyone there was going to die. You know, he was a planner. If he wanted to plan for a mask, he would have wore one. Uh, you know, after the Oteros were all tied up, Raider put a bag over Joe's head. Joe fought hard, tearing holes in the bag. Raider had to devise a cord ligature to subdue him and kill him. He attempted to manually strangle Julie, but it was harder than he thought. It took several tries. In between attempts, you know, she's, she begged him not to kill the kids. She told him, God have mercy on your soul. Nine-year-old Joey was next. Raider took him into his bedroom, tied a bag over the boy's head, brought a chair into the bedroom, and sat there and watched the boy die. Although he never admitted it, there's a real possibility he also brought the boy's sister, Josie, into the room to watch her brother die rather than leave her unguarded. 11-year-old Josie was his final victim that day, and the reason he was there, he forced her to walk down to the basement or carried her. He put a noose around her neck and informed her she would be going to heaven to join the rest of her family. And then he hung her over a dirty sewer pipe and watched her die. Then either before or after killing her, uh, he'd say after, uh, he undid her bra, pulled her panties down below her knees, and masturbated onto her leg. Left so much semen, in fact, that investigators, based on the volume of it, initially thought it had to be from at least two men. Uh, who knows if this was really before or after death? None of his victims would ever show signs of having been penetrated. Uh, actual rape was not part of his dark fantasy, I guess. Man, man, my God. I read this stuff and I start thinking about committing murders myself. Just murdering sick fucks like this guy, who, in my opinion, you know, uh, these people, just, they just forfeit any chance of redemption or forgiveness when they cross a line like this. A bullet to the head should be the most humane option left for you when you do something this destructive. Then after killing Josie, Dennis uh, described leaving the Otero house later in court testimony saying, I went through the house, kind of cleaned it up. It's called the right-hand rule. You go from room to room, clean things up. I think I took Mr. Otero's watch. I guess I took a radio. I had forgot about that, but apparently took a radio. The Otero's 15-year-old son, Charlie, came home later that day and discovered the bodies. Oh, how terrible is that? And then Danny and Carmen, the other two kids, came home uh, as well, realizing, uh, all of them, that cold January Wichita day that some fucking monster had destroyed their family. Dude killed a mother and father and two children, left three other kids orphans, all so he could jerk off on the corpse of a suffocated 11-year-old. The selfishness of these monsters will never cease to amaze me. You know, I don't normally advocate suicide, but if your sexual fantasy is to murder is to murder a child and then ejaculate on the corpse. And you've gone to therapy to have this fantasy taken care of and, and you just can't shake it and the urge just keeps growing stronger and you, you actually find yourself stalking potential victims, planning to murder, you, you, you know it's inevitable. Throw yourself off a fucking building. Slit your wrists. Shoot yourself in the head. Jump into a pool with live, cell, you know, some severed telephone wire before you snuff the life out of someone who's done nothing to you. Go get help first. Get all the help available. But if nothing works, maybe you're just a monster. I think they exist. I think they're beyond rehabilitation. I'm sure I'm going to get some emails for that, but I'm not backing off that. Man, I, I just, I think some people are pure hate, pure mayhem, pure just whatever you want to call it, evil. And death is the only cure for their disease. You know, just like you shouldn't let a rabbit dog roam a kid's playground. You shouldn't let a homicide-obsessed monster roam any place outside the walls of a prison. Uh, or even better, just put him in the dirt, man. Well, Dennis Rader, he, did, he, didn't, uh, he didn't kill himself, unfortunately. Didn't get caught after snuffing out four members of the Otero family. He went back to driving his wife to work, looking for a new job. Fantasized about new people to kill. And the only bright spot in all of this is that he wasn't able to get a good solid night's sleep courtesy of today's sponsor, Lisa Mattresses. How's that for a transition? Yes. 
Today's Time Suck is brought to you by Lisa Mattresses, the socially conscious mattress company. Lisa is an innovative, direct-to-consumer online mattress brand uh, driven by the mission to provide a better place to sleep for everybody. For every 10 mattresses Lisa sells, they donate one to a shelter. Dennis Rader would never do that. Nuh-uh. But they do through their 110 program. Lisa also plants one tree for every mattress sold, donates 1% of each employee's time to volunteer for local causes, would BTK have done that if he was running Lisa Mattresses? You know goddamn well he wouldn't. And best of all, Lisa Mattresses are so comfortable. I have been sleeping on mine for weeks now, and I sleep hard. No middle-of-the-night bathroom breaks even, uh, which is, you know, kind of new for me. <laughs> uh, I didn't realize that was a mattress uh, situation. I thought I was just, you know, as I got older, it was just part of my life now. But now I sleep through it. I sleep through the night. Uh, I don't notice when my wife gets up on her side of the bed, which I love. So comfy, so much support, but still so soft. And they're available online in the U.S., U.K., Canada, Germany. The 100% American-made mattress ships compressed in a box to your door like magic so you can save a trip to the store. So try Lisa Mattress today. Try one in your own home for 100 nights risk-free with free shipping always. And get 100 bucks off for being a time sucker. The suck saving you 100 bucks. Get $100 off when you go to lisa.com. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com slash time suck. L E-E-S-A dot com slash time suck. All right. Just a few months later, April 1974, Raider stalks Catherine Bright. Uh, he'd seen her one day entering her rented home in Wichita, and then he started watching her like a lion watches a gazelle, a weird fucked up pervert lion who wants to hurt instead of eat. She'd lived at 3217 East 13th Street for only a year. She was 21. She had one semester at the University of Kansas in Lawrence. Uh, you know, it, 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 she had been going there for one semester. It left her missing her family. So she, so she came home, worked at Coleman, where Julie Otero had worked for about a month. On April 4th, Dennis broke in via the back porch and hid in a bedroom. Around 2 p.m., Catherine arrived home, accompanied by her 19-year-old brother, Kevin. Another surprise. Dennis had not expected Kevin. He wasn't even a little bit interested in choking Kevin. Uh, you know, he wasn't uh, spending countless nights at home, locking himself in the bathroom, jerking off to the thought of Kevin. God, how sick is that? The guy really was jerking off probably so much thinking about future murder victims. Some people are so unbelievably messed up. Like, like if hell is real and so are demons and someone was like, do you want to be attacked by a literal demon or Dennis Rader? Uh, honestly, don't know what answer I'd give. You know, there's no good choice there. Just, you know, whatever you pick dealer's choice. They're both sadistic monsters. So anyway, Dennis is surprised by Kevin being there. In addition to Catherine, Kevin would surprise him in a variety of ways. Uh, Kevin didn't live there. He'd gone with his sister that day to the bank. Raider pops out of the bedroom, pointing a gun at them, uses the same story he'd used on the Oteros. He was a wanted criminal. He was on his way, you know, from, from California, on his way to New York. He needed a car, needed some money. After some initial resistance, after Catherine telling him to fuck off and get lost, he, he did force the two of them into a bedroom. Uh, he had not brought any rope this time. He assumed Catherine would be alone, easy to control. He was going to tie her up with pantyhose or whatever she happened to have so that when the cops found her body, they would see a different method from the Otero murders. But now, Mr. Bind, torture, and kill had two people to deal with and nothing to tie him up with. He went through Catherine's dressers, found bandanas, belts, nylons, T-shirts. He asked, uh, you know, Brother Kevin to tie his sister up. Then then Dennis tied up Kevin and decided to get him out of the way first, just like he had done with Joe Otero. But suddenly, Kevin broke free from his nylon leg bindings, jumped up, charged, hands still behind him. Raider pulled out his twenty-two pistol and shot Kevin in the head. Kevin fell, blood poured out of his head. Raider ran to the next room where Catherine was freaking out, struggling and screaming, what have you done to my brother? Raider told her that her brother was trying to fight, that he had to shoot him, but that he'd recover. He'd be fine. He was just, you know, he was saying whatever he thought would calm Catherine down. He had no idea he was actually right. 
Uh, Raider left the bedroom a few moments later to make sure Kevin was dead. Goes over, you know, kicks the body, makes sure he's dead. Kevin leaps up, charges again. Uh, break the bindings on his wrist now, grabs the gun. It's like a fucking scene out of every bad slash movie you've ever watched, except it's the good guy that gets back up now uh, when you were sure he was dead, not the monster. Dennis should be the guy popping up after getting shot to the head, not Kevin, and then Kevin should be finishing him off. Unfortunately, the slasher uh, is not in a B-movie. For a few moments, Dennis did think he was going to die right then and there. Too bad he did not. This episode would be a lot shorter, but the story would be a lot less disgusting. Uh, Kevin got his hand on the trigger, tried to pull it, uh, you know, but Dennis blocked him. They fought, grunting and straining until Raider broke free. Shot Kevin in the face, dropping him again. Shot two times in the fucking head now. Uh, Raider then goes back to check on Catherine. Things are not going well. Uh, she's thrashing. She's threatening to break free. Uh, he picks up a piece of cloth, loops it around her throat, begins to pull back and choke her. She breaks free from the chair he'd had her on. Uh, now the murderer, soon to be known as BTK, began to feel real fear. He punches Catherine in the face and the head, shoulders. She's still conscious, still trying to get away. Someone probably heard the shots, he's thinking. He pulls out a knife he'd brought, you know, and she's still fighting like a wild animal. Later, he described Catherine as a hellcat. He stabs her in the back once, twice, again, then spins her around, stabs her in the gut. She still fights. He keeps stabbing as they thrash around the room. Finally, she goes down, and then he hears a sound from the next room. He runs back out to see what the noise is, and Kevin, the dude he had shot twice in the head, is gone. Kevin has run out the door. Uh, The front door is still open. Dennis steps outside, blood covering his hands and clothes, soaking his suede shoes. He can see Kevin running down the street. Dennis goes back inside where Catherine is laying groaning, blood coming out of 11 separate stab wounds. Kevin makes it to a neighbor's house, tells them his sister's in trouble. They call the police. Man, what a tough son of a bitch. The police make it to Catherine just minutes after Raider has fled. She's still alive. She can barely speak. You know, she's not able to give the arriving officer any clues as to who hurt her. When the ambulance arrives, she utters her last words, Help me before passing out and never regaining consciousness. She dies four hours later in the hospital. Kevin would not only live, he would want to go look for Dennis that same night. One bullet had grazed his forehead, bouncing off his skull. The other had knocked two teeth out of his upper jaw. You know, he was only 5'6 and 115 pounds, no bigger than Josie Otero, actually, but he fought off Dennis Rader and lived. A very rare feat. He was a hell of a lot tougher than his stature indicated. He told police that the killer was 5'11", roughly 180 pounds, around the age of 28, with fair skin, dark hair, a mustache. He wore a Wichita State University stocking cap, gloves, and army coat. But the description led to no real leads. Too many dudes in Wichita looked like Dennis Rader. Uh, Wichita cops didn't even connect it with the Otero murders. They thought those were drug-related because they were 1970s white Wichita cops. And if some Hispanic family new to the area was attacked, it had to be drugs, right? Just a little little casual racism there. Uh, Dennis had gotten away that night, ran to his parents, hid his murder weapons and bloodstained clothes in a shed and a chicken coop, cleaned up, then went home to his wife like nothing had happened. He waited to get caught. He read the paper every day afterwards to see how the investigation was going. Then on July 7th, 1974, six months after the Otero murders, four other people in their early 20s were killed in Wichita after a dispute over $27.50. Right, three of the victims died in a duplex at 1117 Dayton Street on the west side of town. The killer and his accomplice drove the fourth victim, a 21-year-old named Beth uh, Kushnerite, to a rural spot in neighboring Butler County. The man with the 38 was James Eddie Bell. He was a big guy with a menacing temper, and then Kushnerite pleaded with Bell and to no avail. He, he gave her two minutes to pray, then shot her in the face. As he put it later, he blew her head off. Bell and his accomplice were picked up, tried, and convicted. The new murders took public and police attention away from the Otero family murders murders, and the murder of Catherine Bright. 
Dennis Rader, not even 30 years old, had just killed five people in six months and gotten away with it. He continues to go to church every Sunday with his young wife and their parents. He helps with the youth group. He reads crime novels and detective magazines. More accurately, he studies them. Uh, he continues with his bondage pornography fetish. He keeps trophies from his kills in his little 960-square-foot house he and his wife share. He wears Joe Otero's watch, wears it to work. He studies uh, administration of justice at Wichita State University, his new major. His homework involved uh, the careful study of how police officers gathered evidence and pursued suspects. He loved the irony. He loved to play with handcuffs and jerk off. Uh, thinking about tying up the terrified, he was a sick, sick puppy. Uh, he began to keep a journal about what he'd done. He wrote that Joe Otero had first thought his break-in was a practical joke. He filed his writing in a binder, started to sign off his journal entries with the letters BTK, bind, torture, kill. In October 1974, Dennis, still reading the Wichita Eagle every day for references to his crimes, reads something that pisses him off. Three guys in jail already for other crimes started trying to take credit for the Otero family murders. So Dennis puts a call in to columnist Don Granger. He says, listen and listen good. I'm only going to say this once. There is a letter about the Otero case in a book in the public library. And then he told Don which book it was, and he hung up the phone. The crazy bastard had just gotten away clean with five murders, and now he's risking getting caught just so some other douchebags don't get credit for his murders. The ego and arrogance of this prick. Uh, well, Dennis Rader had left the letter in a self-published book he had written called Dennis Rader's Guide to Bondage and Torture, and the police never even bothered to question him. Seemed too obvious, I guess. Years later, they discovered that one of the chapters was actually called How to Kill People in Wichita and Get Away With It, but they never checked. Lazy, lazy work. No, of course that never happened. Come on, stop it. Uh, the, book, the book was called Applied Engineering Mechanics, and it was written by Who Gives a Shit? It Sounds Terrible. And here's what the letter inside, uh, written by Dennis, said. said, I write this letter to you for the sake of the taxpayer as well as your time. What? Uh, those three dude you have in custody are just talking to get publicity for the Otero murders. They know nothing at all. I did it by myself and with no one's help. There has been no talk either. Let's put it straight. <laughs> the letter then accurately describes the positions of all four Otero bodies, names the rope, cord, and knots that bound them. Uh, yeah, he used like a variety of like kind of fancy knots. The letter's notations about Josie Otero, for example, read, Josephine, position, hanging by the neck in the northwest part of the basement, dryer or freezer north of her body, bondage, hand tie, with bind, blind cord, feet and lower knees, upper knees, and waist with clothesline cord, all one length, garret, rough hemp rope, one-fourth diameter, noose with four or five turns, New, clothes, dark, bra, cut in the middle, sock, death, strangulation once, hung, comments, rest of her clothes at the bottom of stairs, gr green pants and panties, her glasses in the southwest bed. So fucking weird. Like, like, it's like he's doing just, you know, entries like, like he's making sure there's the, the proper camp equipment, you know, in the, uh, in the lodge, some Cub Scout, you know, kind of thing. You know, just three thermoses, check. Sleeping bag, yeah. Coleman lantern, yes. Fuck. The letter contained details only cops and the killer knew. The writer seemed to confirm Cornwell's suspicion, one of the detectives, uh, that the killer had tortured the Oteros. He had strangled Julie Otero twice. Uh, I'm, he says, uh, going on in the letter, he says, I'm sorry this happened to the society. <laughs> they are the ones who suffer the most. It's hard to control myself. You probably call me psychotic with sexual perversion hang-up. 
Where this monster enter my brain, I will never know, but it here to stay. How does one cure himself? If you ask for help that you have killed four people, they will laugh or hit the panic button and call the cops. I can't stop it, so the monster goes on and hurt me as well as society. Society can be thankful that there are ways for people like me to relieve myself at time by daydreams of some victim being tortor and being mine. It's a bag, it's a big, complicated game, my friend, of the monster play putting victims' number down. Follow them, checking up on them, waiting in the dark, waiting, waiting. The pressure is great, and sometimes he run the game to his liking. Maybe you can stop him. I can't. He has already chosen his next victims or victims. I don't know who they are yet. The next day after I read the paper, I will know. But it too late. Good luck hunting. Yours truly guilty. <sighs> the the misspelled and, and gram- grammatically incorrect letter gave detectives a, a sick feeling. They'd failed to catch the killer for nine months. And now he said he would kill again. He was, he was now even giving himself a name as though he were, you know, some Boston Strangler, Jack the Ripper. He says, P.S. Since sex criminals do not change their M.O. or by nature cannot do so, I will not change mine. The code words for me will be bind them, torture them, kill them. BTK, you will see it. You will see at it again. They will be on the next victim. I wonder. I wonder if it pissed the police off like a little more that he seemed so fucking dumb by by how he you know wrote a letter. Like it had to be even more insulting that they couldn't catch a man who appeared to be a fucking moron. Uh, shortly after sending in this letter, BTK goes to work for the security alarm company ADT. After the Otero and Bright murders, uh, ADT, you know, business was booming locally. They were installing a lot of fucking security systems. New job put BTK inside homes as an installer, you know. <laughs> He's getting work. He, cre- he created his own market for this, for the, for this work. If he'd been, you know, more ambitious, he should have opened up his own security company. Uh, again, Raider enjoyed the irony of this deviant little game he's playing with the people of Wichita. Love how he doesn't have the balls to accept responsibility, by the way, for his crimes. You know, he didn't do it. Not really. Just technically. Some monster who invaded his head did it. You know, just a monster crawling in his brain. No, asshole. You are the monster. And you alone did what you did. I hope you kill yourself in prison, you pathetic piece of shit. Better yet, I hope in your old age, I hope some, you know, sadist gets a hold of you. And you die in a state of hours of terror. Uh, Wichita is now scared shitless. They, they now knew the Otero murders were not some drug hit. Something you could feel safe about. You know, as long as you weren't involved in the drug trade, you're not going to get, you know, hit. But now, between the Oteros and Bright siblings' attack, it felt like no one was safe. Well, two months after cops found the message in the library, Wichita's other paper, the Wichita Sun, decided to publish a story on December 11th, 1974, about finding the letter and for the first time alerting the population of Wichita that there actually was a serial killer in their midst. You know, it's... it's very scary in Wichita. In early summer of 1975, less than two years after killing the Oteros and Catherine, Dennis, uh, who was busier at ADT than ever, and his wife Paula welcomed their first kid to the world, Brian. Uh, Raider would later blame his young family for a lull in his murder, saying, and I quote, I had a wife. I had to work. You know, you can't go out and prowl around till three or four in the morning without your wife being suspicious. What a strange moral code this maniac had. He'd kill a kid, jerk off on her dead body, but he's not going to go out trolling for more victims, leave his poor wife at home. Not, not alone with a new baby. He's not some degenerate. He'll shoot a man a couple times in the face so he can go back to choking her sister to death. But you know what? He's not going to rock the boat back at the homestead. Not going to risk an argument, you know, with, with mama. 
and get into some baby mama drama at home. Incredible how he can keep the monster in his head calm and under control when it comes to his family. It's almost like there isn't a monster. Uh, the strange rules we choose to follow, man, to give ourselves some semblance or order in the world. Some center of normalcy to kind of anchor ourselves to. March 17, 1977, St. Patrick's Day. Uh, Raider puts on dress shoes, nice slacks, and a tweed sports jacket. Carries a briefcase with his, with his murder tools. Tape, cord, gun, plastic bags. Carries a photograph of his family. That's a tool as well. He's going to show it to people to make him think he's a detective searching for a lost boy. He trolls, picks out targets, backs off. You know, serial killing would be like fishing, he'd later say. Sometimes you're unlucky. Or you get tangled up with chores, work, and school. He's got just the way, just the way he can just dehumanize it. Uh, his primary target this day lived at 1207 South Greenwood. Uh, and if she didn't work out, he had a backup just a block to the east at 1243 South Hydraulic. And if those targets didn't work out, he had other backups. He had stalked multiple women in this area, switching surveillance from one to another for weeks, taking notes, pondering his escape routes. Again, such a game to this dude. Uh, if only more people took their careers and relationships as seriously as Dennis Rader took stalking women to choke out, uh, the world would be a much happier, more productive place. Uh, Dennis wanted a woman named Cheryl that day. She was, in his opinion, a loose woman. The nerve of this sadistic psychopath to cast judgment on anyone. You know, just, what a slut. She's probably slept with more people than I've killed. Whore! Well, Dennis had watched Cheryl drink and party at the blackout at college bar. He followed her home, spied on her and her roommates for weeks. Cheryl Gilmore lived with a roommate, Judy Clark. The third woman uh, Raider had noticed was Judy's 16-year-old sister, Karen, uh, Corinne, who frequently stayed at the house. So those are plans A, B, and C. Uh, two doors down at 1311 South Hydraulic, there was another woman with three kids who Raider had not targeted, Shirley Vien. Uh, Shirley and her kids, or Vian, Shirley Vian and her kids, uh, they, had, they had the flu, and, there was, uh, and, there, and that was about to become the least shitty part of their, their day. Uh, when the kids got hungry at lunchtime, Shirley had called Dylan's grocery store a block away to tell them she was sending one of her little boys over for food. Stephen, age six, bought soup, walked back home where his mom told him it was the wrong kind of soup. So he walked back to Dylan's and got the right kind of soup. Man, a six-year-old doing grocery shopping for the family? I need to talk to my kids about stepping up their home game. I have an 11-year-old and a 9-year-old, and they can barely order for themselves at a restaurant, and that's when I'm sitting next to them. I need to start getting them out of the house more. They're going to be, you know, ordering off the kids' menu when they're 40, and I'm still going to be paying. Uh, well, just a little bit, little, you know, just before little Steven got back home, a tall man with a briefcase stopped and asked him a question. Raider pulled out a photo of his wife and son. You know, have you seen these people? He asked Steven. The boy looked at the photograph. No, he said. Are you sure? Yes. The boy walked away. Raider watched him for a moment. Then he walked to Cheryl's door. He glanced down the street again, saw the boy looking at him. Raider knocked on Cheryl's door. When he got no answer, he walked to the boy's house. He's really kind of going off the rails here. Steven's brother and sister were playing when Steven came home. Bud was eight, Stephanie was four. Uh, Steven crawled into bed with his mom. Moments later, he heard a knock and sprinted for the door. So did Bud. They liked to race. Steven beat Bud this time, opened the door, and it was Andre Chikatilo, actually, the butcher of Rostov. Why are you in this story? Why you, why you keep putting me in story? In what, why you keep putting me in time suck? What do you want me to do? Kill family here? Maybe wrestle mother? Get angry over soft, flaccid, useless shame cock? Kill whole family in murder rage? Chikatilo did not kill kids, okay? All right? Oh, well, okay. Okay, maybe Chikatilo killed many kids, but Chikatilo did not kill mother and children together. Chikatilo, not that kind of monster. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Uh, Chikatilo may have done exactly that. Now that I think about it, uh, Chikatilo, very bad monster. Chikatilo deserved mocking. Uh, do what Chikatilo as you wish. No, it wasn't Chikatilo, it was Dennis Raider. He saw their mom, 
pushed the door open, saying he was a detective. He showed Shirley a fake business card, and he pushed the door shut, pulled out the gun. Shirley begged him not to hurt her or hurt her kids. He told Shirley a new story he had not used on the Oteros or the Brights. said he had uh, a sex fantasy problem, uh, which was uh, true. Uh, he, he would tie her up, have some sex, you know, take some pictures. It would not be a pleasant thing, he said, but everyone would be okay. That's, that's when you know, God, that's when you know you truly, truly are a monster. When in order to calm uh, a victim down from the truth that, that is going to happen to them, you tell them it's just going to be some tying up and some raping. Fuck. Uh, so he ties up the kids. He opens his briefcase. He's calling it, calling it a hit kit this day. Uh, takes out some rope, starts to tie up the older boy. He starts to scream, frustrated. You know, he tells Shirley, you know, to help him get these kids quieted. And they end up shutting the kids in the bathroom, which had two doors. He ties the west door shut from the inside, looping a quarter on the knob, tying it under the sink. There were boys in the living room. Uh, there were toys on the living room floor, an airplane, a fire truck, a little car. He, he grabs those, dumps them into the bathroom for the kids, tosses in blankets and pillows. You know, how thoughtful. Play with these airplanes, kids. Why choke your mom out down the hall? Uh, he takes Shirley into her bedroom, shuts the east bathroom door, shoves her bed against it to block it. Takes off all her clothes, wraps electrical tape around her forearms and calves, ties her wrist with the cord and nylon stocking, ties her ankles with the cord. In the bathroom, the kids are screaming, pounding on the door. You know, leave my mother alone. Leave my mother alone. Get out of here, Steven's yelling. You know, I'm going to break out of here. I don't think you want to, Raider shouts back. I'll blow your head off. So uh, I guess he's not comforting the kids that much. Uh, he makes Shirley, uh, Shirley lie face down on the bed, ties her feet to the metal head rail, runs a long cord to her throat, walks into the kitchen, fetches her a glass of water. Because she's thirsty. He wanted, he wanted to comfort her, he'd say later. He actually considered himself a nice guy, even during the crimes. You know, when Julie Otero had complained that her hands were going numb from her bindings, he'd adjusted those. When Joe Otero had said his chest hurt from lying on the floor because he had some broken ribs, he had fetched uh, a coat for Joe to rest on. Now Shirley doesn't feel so, you know, well. She's sick, so he gives her some water. But then he takes a plastic bag out of his hit kit, pulls it over her head, and suffocates her to death. What a fucking lunatic! Uh, he wanted to strangle her boys, you know, strangle and then sexually defile her daughter, but the phone wouldn't stop ringing. He gets nervous. So he just grabs two pairs of panties from her drawer and he takes off. Short time later, the kids bust out of the bedroom, find their dead mom, alert a neighbor who calls the police. Dennis was long gone by the time the police got there and Shirley was dead. And then just BTK walked back into his normal Wichita life like nothing had ever happened. And I wonder what Cheryl Gilmore, Judy Clark, and Judy's 16-year-old sister Corinne thought when, you know, years later they were undoubtedly informed uh, that Dennis, you know, was actually targeting them that day. Like if any one of them would have happened to have been home, they would have died in a nightmare at the hands of a living demon. <sighs> that December 1977, Raider strikes again. Uh, he'd become obsessed with Nancy Fox, a 25-year-old hardworking woman who'd taken a part-time job at Hellsberg Jewelers in the mall to earn extra money to buy Christmas presents for her family. She was already working full-time as a secretary for the law company, an architectural firm. On the evening of December 8th, BTK breaks into her duplex via a rear bedroom window after first cutting the phone line, waits for her to get home. Nancy lived alone. Dennis knew that. When she came inside, he surprised her in the kitchen, gun drawn. And he gives her the same story he'd given Shirley, his new story. He states he's he got a sexual issue. He needs to tie her up. He needs to rape her. He orders Nancy into the bedroom. And after taking off some of her clothes, he ties her to the bed. And for the first time at one of his crime scenes, he takes off his clothes. At that point, he announces who he really is. Makes it clear, you know, that he was the person who killed the Oteros and then proceeds to strangle her to death with the cord and then he jerks off on her nightgown. God, he really is a lot like Chikatilo. You know, he's got some weird dick issues, you know? Apparently his dick did work, but he was afraid to use it on his victims for whatever reason. 
Probably didn't want to cheat on his wife. He probably had such a deranged moral code that he could live with choking people to death and occasionally jerking off on their corpses, but couldn't bring himself to sleep with a woman who is not his wife. You know, he, he, he taken vows. Come on, guys, he taken vows. Man, if only his wife had made him write better vows, none of this would have happened. If only Dennis had said, I promise to remain faithful, to cherish you, and to not strangle or hang or suffocate any strangers and also not jerk off on their bodies and or nightgowns. If only that would have been would have been done, Wichita would have been safe. Uh, after he was done, Raider uh, slipped back into the night, slipped back into his old life. Authorities no closer to catching him than they were after the Otero murders. Next day, he dials a police dispatcher from a payphone and says, Yes, you will find a homicide at 843 South Pershing. Nancy Fox, that is correct. And leaves the receiver dangling. Uh, police rush to the residence, find the lifeless body still lying on the bed. A tape recording, uh, recording of that call is eventually played repeatedly over and over in the Wichita media, but no one, including Raider's co-workers or family, are able to recognize the voice. Early 1978, Raider attempts to send a postcard with a sarcastic poem, Shirley Locks, to the Wichita Eagle, uh, and, and a letter a few days later. In this letter, Dennis takes full responsibility for the Otero, Shirley uh, Vian, Nancy Fox murders, plus an unnamed seventh victim, later assumed to be Catherine Bright. Uh, his poem, uh, the, or sorry, the letter was written in the same style as the 1974 letter, and then has the weird poem, O Death to Nancy, that mimicked an old folk song called O Death. Here's, how it, here's what he wrote. O Death to Nancy, what is this that I can see? Cold, icy hands taking hold of me. For death has come, you all can see. Hell has opened its gate to trick me. Oh, death. Oh, death, can't you spare me? Over for another year? I'll stuff your jaws till you can't talk. I'll bind your legs till you can't walk. I'll tie your hands till you can't make a stand. And finally, I'll close your eyes so you can't see. I'll bring sexual death unto you for me. BTK. Wow, this bastard... Really enjoying himself, really getting off on rubbing the local authorities' faces in his kills, enjoying further victimizing the families and friends of everyone he's killed. I feel like, you know, when that was read in, in court after he was found guilty, you know, uh, or, or, or after, I guess, you know, when that was read in court after he had, you know, confessed, if someone would have just walked up to him, somehow gotten a gun into the court and just blew his brains out, that person should get uh, no punishment. Like, how could you punish someone for, for killing somebody after, after, God, he's. Ah, oh, he's such a piece of shit. The women of Wichita in the 1970s began to routinely check the dial tone of their phones the second they came home, make sure the cord hadn't been cut. Yeah, I bet they did. Business and AT ADT security booming. Uh, in June of 1978, Dennis's wife Polly gives birth to their second and final child, Carrie. Paula had been pregnant through all the events during and following Nancy Fox's murder. Uh, think about that, man. Dennis terrorizing and choking Nancy to death and running home to check on his baby boy. Make sure his pregnant wife doesn't need anything from the store. Just Sorry, baby. Uh, I totally forgot to grab some pickles. I, I wrote it down, but I, th I think I left a note at the home with a, uh, the woman I just strangled. BTK waited almost a year and a half to strike again. In April 1979, he broke into the home of Anna Williams, a 63-year-old widow who had recently lost her husband. He hid in her house, waited for her to come home, giving up before she finally showed up late that evening so he doesn't get her. And in June of that year, just days before Raiders' graduation ceremony at WSU, uh, Anna received a package in the mail with a poem entitled, Oh, Anna, Why Didn't You Appear? A drawing of what Raider had intended to do to her and a few of the things he'd stolen. Uh, not surprisingly, uh, Anna moved out of town. Smart woman. The day after his package to her, a similar package arrives at the studios of KAKE uh, TV in Wichita. And this is the poem he wrote in that one. It says, Oh, Anna, Why Didn't You Appear? Uh, 
"'Twas the perfect plan of deviant pleasure, so bold on that spring night, my inner feeling hot with propension of the new awakening season. Okay? Worn wet with inner fear and rapture, my pleasure of entanglement, like new vines at night. Oh, Anna, why didn't you appear? Drop of fear, fresh spring rain, would roll down from your nakedness to scent to lofty fever that burned within. In that small world of longing, fear, rapture, and desperation, the game we play, fall on devil ears. Fantasy, spring, I'm, you know, I'm not going to fucking read anymore. It's so bad. It's so bad. What a weirdo. Dude is writing shitty poetry about murder and about murders he wants to commit but is not able to. I hope he had to listen to coworkers at ADT make fun of how bad his poems were. Just, hey, Larry, did you see that BTK wrote another poem? God, that dumb shit can barely spell. Now he's trying to write poems. Why didn't you write a poem about how he, you know, he's mad that his dick doesn't work or how he must have mommy issues or, you know, some kind of shit to be doing this to women? What, what do you think of this sick bastard, Dennis? Wouldn't you just want to choke the life out of him? Well, I don't know. He probably just misunderstood. He's a criminal genius, really. Police took it. Wait, what, what was that, Dennis? I couldn't hear you. Speak up, you freak. Uh, I, I said I would also like to choke him out, Larry. That would be swell. I, I would love to choke out Dennis Raider. I, I mean the uh, the monster that tells him what to... I, I mean the BTK guy, whatever his name is. is that probably, probably is not my name. That, that would be unusual. And then after sending in this uh, shitty poem, BTK just disappears as suddenly as he showed up. Police still nowhere near catching Dennis Raider. Not even on the, on the most remote fringes of their radar. But he didn't stop killing... Not quite yet. Uh, Marine Hedge, 53, was found along a dirt road eight days after she was abducted from her home on April 27, 1985. Uh, when she had spent the evening eating dinner and playing bingo with her boyfriend, she had been strangled. A knotted pair of pantyhose was found nearby. She lived on the same street as Dennis Rader. Actually lived six doors down. Wow. Man, his family had seen that woman time and time again. A span of over five years between kills for BTK, highly unusual for an active and non-incarcerated serial killer. After a strangling Marine, he dragged her nude body out to her car, wrapped in bed covers. She was a tiny little woman, uh, but he could barely lift her because he was a weak fuck of a man who preyed on small women. God, how I would love to be locked up in a room with him, with just him, I, and a baseball bat. Play a, little, play a little game of old man skull home run derby. I hate him so much. After Dennis stuffed her into the truck, he drove to his own church, Christ Lutheran, where he'd spent many a Sunday pretending to be a good Christian, and now he played God with her corpse. Strapped high heels onto her cold feet, posed her bound body into lewd and, you know, positions, took photographs he could save her later. Took her to the country, dumped her body in the woods. The crime scene was different enough that police did not suspect BTK of killing this time. At that, at that time. Uh, he killed Vicky uh, Wedgerly. 28 on September 16th, 1986, she'd be found strangled in her bed. Her two-year-old son was home but not harmed. Thank God for that small kindness. Hail Nimrod. Instead of suspecting BTK, detectives suspected her husband, Bill, uh, especially after he failed two lie detector tests when initially questioned. As far as the people of Wichita were concerned, BTK still had not come back. And Dennis, for whatever reason, was fine at the moment for letting him think that. January 19, 1991, another five-year gap. Uh, Dolores Davis, 62, is abducted from her home uh, on January 19th and found 13 days later under a bridge. She'd been strangled. Her hands, feet, and knees were bound with pantyhose. Detectives associated this murder with the murder of Marine Hedge in 85, but attributed neither to BTK because the victims were both older. Their bodies had been dumped, which did not fit his previous MO. And, uh, and his communication with the people of Wichita remained closed. You know, Dennis wouldn't speak publicly again until 2004. In the meantime, Dennis became more active in his church. He'd eventually become church president. 
Uh, became a Cub Scout leader when his son Brian was old enough for that. In fact, Brian would eventually attain the status of Eagle Scout, undoubtedly under the guidance of BTK. Uh, he stopped working at ADT, got a job as a compliance and animal control officer, became a combination dog catcher and local code enforcer in his Park City suburb. He was technically working in law enforcement. How strange. Apparently, he was a super strict animal control officer and wouldn't hesitate to put a dog down. Several residents filed complaints that their pets hadn't done anything, and he put them down anyway. Surprised one of those owners didn't kill him, man. If someone got a hold of sweet fur baby Penny, you know, put her down, there's a good chance they would disappear within the next few weeks. Uh, During his long vacation from being a monster, Raider's daughter Carrie grew up, graduated, attended Kansas State University. Uh, The school had a football team. Dennis was a huge fan of. He's out there rooting for the fucking, you know, Kansas City team. Jesus, man. Josie Otero, she didn't get to grow up. You know, his daughter did. So messed up. In 2003, uh, Carrie married a man from Michigan and went to live there. His son, Brian, joined the Navy, left the area for the East Coast. And, you know, Dennis could have got away with it all. Could have become a grandpa. Quietly killed a few more people. Quietly killed 10 more, 20 more. But his ego got the better of him in 2004. January 2004, the 30th anniversary of the Otero murders, and the Wichita Eagle ran a story about BTK, who had largely been kind of forgotten about, you know, by local media for a number of years. In conjunction with the article, the Eagle also mentioned the publication of local attorney Robert Beatty's new book about BTK. And Dennis did not like someone else telling his story. And on March 17th, 2004, the long-dormant BTK was back. Didn't like that, uh, you know, Robert didn't know a lot about what he'd been up to. And it's really strange, he hadn't killed in 13 years now. That's an extremely long-dormant period for an active serial killer. He hadn't sent a letter into the press for almost 25 years. But he sends a letter now. It contained three photograph pictures of his own photos of the dying Vicky uh, Wedgley taken in 1986, as well as a photocopy of her missing driver's license. As soon as the story of this new letter and new murder admission hit the media, BTK was back, and Wichita, to Dennis's delight, was more scared than ever. May 5th, 2004, Raiders sent a second letter, a second letter, this time to the studio of KAKE-TV, the Wichita ABC affiliate. Uh, there was a lengthy word puzzle containing columns of letters and a few numbers mixed in. The FBI verified that this also came from BTK, as he characteristically used his unique signature. But no one could make any particular sense out of the puzzle because it was fucking ridiculous. Uh, he was a big fan of, you know, other serial killers, such as the Son of Sam, such as Zodiac. He just wasn't as smart as Zodiac and uh, did not did not know how to to build a code. Uh, on January, uh, ju- excuse me, June 9th, 2004, Raider left a package taped to a stop sign at the corner of First and Kansas in the middle of the city. This contained a disturbing collection of documents, including a letter detailing the grisly murders of the Otero family and a sketch of a nude and bound female thought to be young Josie Otero hanging by a rope. The sketch was labeled, The Sexual Thrill is My Bill. Oh, wow. This jackass is a real wordsmith, real poet. You know he was so proud of rhyming to simple sentence. You know, something the average 10-year-old could do a much better job of than him. Uh, on, on July 17, 2004, a package marked BTK was found in a book return at the Wichita Public Library downtown. It contained a worrisome message. said, I have spotted a female that I think lives alone and or is a spotted latchkey kid. Just got to work out the details. I'm much older, not feeble now, and have to conditions myself carefully. Also, my thinking process is not as sharp as it uses to be. <laughs> I think fall or winter would be just right about right. Would be just about right for the hit. Got to do it this year or next. Time is running out for me. 
Ah, man, this dude is just, again, just, it's just all this is just a game to him. Uh, another drop occurs on October 22nd, 2004, when a UPS worker finds a strange manila envelope while picking up the contents of the UPS box at the Omni Center by 2nd in Kansas in Wichita. Inside is a collage of pictures of kids with bindings drawn across their bodies and faces. Uh, there was also what BTK claimed to be his autobiography, listing a number of details about his life, such, such as being born in 1939, his dad dying in the war, his mom dating a railroad detective. That's <laughs> very specific. A railroad detective. Are you a detective? Yes. What agency do you work? The Pinkertons? No, I work. I'm a railroad detective. I find missing railroad situations. I find the cars that detach from the trains. I track them. I track them down. Yeah, that's what I do. Uh, almost all of this was false information and just an attempt to mislead police, you know, into researching false clues. I think the guy just, you know, I think the guy liked fucking with the police more than he liked actually strangling people. You know, he just loved the power, I guess, uh, the feeling of power that gave him. On December 1st, 2004, officers at the Wichita Police Department stormed the house of Roger Valadez, uh, who lived in a house in Wichita with peeling paints with inside of railroad tracks. He was suspected, uh, suspected of being the BTK killer based on some false clues you know, Raider had given the police. DNA tests quickly exonerated him. Ultimately, police would take some 1,300 DNA swabs of men searching for a match to BTK's semen left at crime scenes. Uh, they would, you know, look at uh, 1,300 of the wrong guys. Uh, December 14th, 2004, Raider's sixth drop is found. A man walking through Murdoch Park that night noticed a package wrapped in white plastic leaning against a tree. Out of curiosity, he took it home, uh, he opened it, and it contained Michael motherfucking McDonald's new album, released only a few months earlier, Motown 2, featuring Michael's classic take on such Motown hits as, Oh, mercy, mercy me, oh, things ain't what they used to be, no, 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 and Baby, I Need Your Lovin'. Baby, I need your loving. Got to have all your loving. That album would crack the top 10 on the Billboard Top 200 chart, and you just got Michael motherfucking McDonald. God, it fired me up on that one. Ah, oh, Motown. Okay, that's not what was in the package. What was in it was a doll. Doll's head had a plastic bag tied over it. Creepy as shit. Its hands were tied behind his back. Its feet were bound together. Tied to the feet was a real driver's license belonging to BTK murder victim Nancy Fox, whom he'd killed in December of 77. January 1st, 2005, Dennis Rader officially became the new president of the church uh, council at Christ Lutheran. So, you know, he's fucking sending off dolls with bags on their head, taunting murder victims' families, and he's, you know, moving up the ranks at the uh, Christ Lutheran church. Jesus. January 8th, 2005, eight days into the new year. He left a special case cereal box marked BTK and bomb in the bed of a pickup truck parked at uh, Home Depot in North Woodlawn. Woodlawn. Uh, the truck belonged to an employee of home uh, of that Home Depot. First, the driver thought it was trash, put it in a trash can at home. And by the way, this is, he fucks. So this is where he starts to fuck up. Uh, luckily, uh, the employee forgot to put the trash can out for collection on January 25th when police arrived at the Home Depot looking for clues in BTK's having been tipped off by a postcard from BTK. And he would send it you know, a little bit later. The man realized the significance of the box and was able to retrieve it. You know, by reviewing surveillance tape in the parking lot for January 8th, the police had their first glimpse of BTK, but the image was too far away, too blurry for identification. But by measuring the wheelbase of the black vehicle he was driving, it was determined that the vehicle was a Jeep Cherokee. Despite having installed alarm systems for a living, Raider was apparently unaware that surveillance cameras had become a commonplace item. Uh, the box itself contained information about some intended victims Dennis had watched or stalked. 
also contained more misleading information of how he lived in a three-story home in Wichita, had an elevator, had a bomb in the basement that was rigged to explode if the house was invaded by detectives. He also asked a peculiar question to detectives. This is one of the weirdest things of the whole uh, story to me. He asked, if he put his writings on a computer disk, would it be traceable? He requested a response to be posted in the Wichita Eagle classified ads in the miscellaneous category using his code name, Rex. How weird. Hey, uh, hey, cops. You know, I've been fucking with you guys for like 30 years, right? And you've gotten nowhere. And I was thinking, I kind of want to keep fucking with you guys. But here's the thing. I'm not totally up on new technology. Usually I'd ask my kids, but they're, you know, they're out, they're out of town. They've been super busy. You know, my daughter's married. You know how it goes. Uh, could you trace uh, a floppy disk? Could you trace it to me? Because I'm in, I'm in a real pickle here. I want to send you some more harassing and threatening info. I, I would like to spread more fear, you know, uh, around the city. But I don't want to get caught. So that's, you know, that's where I'm at. So could you, could you tell me how to send you harassing information but not get in trouble? Ha! <laughs> ah, thanks, guys. You're the best. Love it. Loving this game. Loving this game. Uh, January 25th, 2005, the eighth drop is a certain other cereal box from the serial killer. You know that's why he was leaving cereal boxes, this corny fuck. Uh, this one was a post-toasties box. Post-toasties uh, is a cereal no longer made because it has a terrible name. Mmm, mom, are these toasties? No, sweetie, these are post-toasties. These are old toasties that used to be totally toasterific, but now are either stale or soggy. They're for people who don't feel like they deserve Toasties, uh, or for moms who don't want to buy their kids Toasties. Uh, they're terrible, and so are you. So why don't you choke on them, you stupid jerk? That is real dialogue uh, from a 2005 post-Toasties commercial I just made up. Well, uh, the cereal box was discovered on January 25th. Uh, the post-Toasties box is found leaned up against a road sign. Another doll inside, you know, rope tied around its neck, tied to a plumbing fixture, simulating the hanging of Josephine Otero. Church president doing this. Such a sadist. And then the 10th drop was another postcard that arrived on February 3rd. Again, sent in to KAKE. Our return address was Hap Cakeman, a 1950s character from KAKE's past. Uh, Raider wrote, Thank you for your quick response on number 7 and 8. Thanks to the news team for their efforts. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's like he doesn't understand that he's talking about murder. Sorry about Susan and Jeff's colds. Business issues. Tell WPD that I received newspaper tip for a go. Test run soon. Thanks. P.S. May want to use KTV, PC, etc. Code number and letters from me for my verification code to you. Now, he's referring there to the newspaper ad in the Wichita Eagle, placed there by detectives to answer his question about the safety of sending a computer disk. Uh, the responding ad assured him, you know, in an agreed-upon code, Rex, it will be okay. <laughs> I just can't get over I just can't get over how this is just like such a fun little game for him, you know? Like, he's acting like everyone's loving this. Like, everyone at the news station's like, hey, guys, good news. Or buddy old pal Dennis sent in another letter. Oh, man, what a, I wish he'd come by, grab a donut with us one of these mornings. You know, like, if the police caught him, they were just going to be like, ah, we got you, you rascal. Oh, you really gave us good chase there, buddy. Good good game, pal. Good game. Get in the jail cell. I got to put you in there. I'm sorry. I, I, if it were up to me, I'd throw you a fucking parade. You're, man, you've been so much fun to hang out with. Drop number 11 arrives at the studios of KSAS-TV on February 16th. It contains a letter, piece of jewelry, and a purple diskette referred to as Test Floppy for WPD Review. 
Detectives waste little time analyzing the diskette, find software on it from Christ Lutheran Church in Wichita in the name Dennis. Uh, Raider had apparently thought he had erased the original contents of the diskette and that it would be safe to use for his purposes. What a fucking idiot. He might still be out there. He would have just bought a new disc. But he's like, why, why bother? Man, my buddies, my old, my buddy old palace at the police station. They said it would be okay. They're not going to lie to me. Man, just, that's, that's not how the game works. You, know, you don't break the rules. Uh, quick internet search brought up a website for his church mentioning its current president, Dennis Raider. So a group of detectives quietly drive by his house in Park City, note a black Jeep Cherokee parked in the driveway. Cherokee just like the one they saw on the surveillance camera in the Home Depot parking lot. Raiders placed under surveillance. A subpoena is secretly obtained for a DNA sample from his daughter from a recent gyne- uh, gynecological exam. Now, the familial DNA was a match to DNA found from semen at BTK crimes, and, and the case is basically solved right there. Fitting that his daughter led to his capture. Tiny bit of poetic justice after what he did to the Otero daughter. You know, and other women. Jesus. Uh, after, living the office, uh, after leaving the office to eat lunch at his home, as was his custom on February 25th, 2005, Raider's driving home when he notices uh, he's totally surrounded by a huge number of police. He doesn't try and escape. He just, you know, stops his car. He just surrenders quietly, calmly. Uh, he's led to a waiting police car. He's handcuffed. He, he's, you know, he, he greets the head of the investigation when he gets into the car. Hello, Mr. Lawnware. Hello, Mr. Raider. Lieutenant Ken Lawnware responds. And now finally, over 30 years after it's begun, uh, BTK's stranglehold over the city of Wichita is over. And so is this Time Suck timeline. Good job, soldier. You made it back. Barely. So that was the tale of BTK's three-decade reign of terror. Might be the longest timeline we've had so far on Time Suck, man, at least for a one-part episode. Before I give a brief summary of his trial, current whereabouts, my thoughts about him, uh, let's check in with the idiots, see what they have to uh, say about BTK, the old idiots of the internet. Idiots of the internet. Internet. Under a YouTube video of Dennis Rader confessing in court to all of his crimes, a video called BTK Confession, full version, uh, user stats63 posts, I've never seen a bigger loser nerd. Uh, okay. I can, I can think of a lot of insulting terms to throw at Dennis Rader, like fuckface, monster, psychopath, narcissist, sadist, uh, sadist excuse me, uh, coward even, but uh, nerd? That's a, that's a weird one. Uh, user AM421630 doesn't like any insulting words being flung at Rader. He seems to admire him in a way, posting, you are just jealous that he pursued his dream and accomplished them better than you will ever do. Huh. That's an interesting takeaway from all of this. You admire how he followed and accomplished his dreams. Uh, never really saw BTK as inspirational. Uh, he, he'd make a dark motivational speaker, you know? Find your passion and pursue it vigorously. Don't let anyone stop you for, from accomplishing your goals. Don't let the police stop you. Don't let the, don't let the father of the family stop you. Don't let someone's brother be in there when you didn't think they were going to be there stop you. Don't, don't let someone fighting for their life, like literally fighting for breath, Get in the way of you doing what you want to do. I hope that all you graduating seniors get everything you want out of life, and given the opportunity, I would, I would gladly snuff the life out of about half of you. Uh, user Diana Bell cracked me up when she posted, every serial killer should have their dick cut off and stuck in their mouth. So specific. I'm not opposed to the sentiment, but so specific. Everyone? Even ones with sad, uh, limp dicks like Chikatilo? Hey, you, you ordered over the mark Chikatilo an episode. Why take another shot? Why Chikatilo dick not good enough to get stuffed in the mouth? 
All dicks be limp when stuffed in mouth. Who get in hard dick? Stuffed in mouth. Who, who dick hard when the dick cut off? Who who get in erect penis uh, stuffed in mouth? It made no sense. Uh, user Ryan Smith uh, wouldn't like that joke. He didn't like Diana Bell's comment posting how petty and childish. Uh, what? Uh, what, Ryan? You're listening to a video of a man dis- discussing murdering children and other people in great detail, but this post offends you. Th- this is what upsets you. Uh, go fuck yourself. And then there's our last idiot of today, a real champion, uh, user Lowlife, who posts, Dennis Rader is a D-list serial killer. He is a disorganized slob who can't even kill people correctly. Listen to his stories. Not only is he having to re-strangle people because he's a piss-poor murderer, but he's obsessed with controlling the situation, yet the idiot completely loses all control over his victims. He's got people running out the front door, damn near escaping. He's got victims biting through plastic bags. He even got disarmed by a kid. Dennis Rader is one of the most pathetically shitty serial killers. What the fuck? What are you, an armchair serial killer? Well, if I would have fucking killed these people, I would have just done it in a nice, tidy fashion, man. I'm not choking no one twice, man. You just fucking get in there. You get in there and you grab you grab hard and you don't it's not hard. It's not it's simple. You just you don't let go. God. What a weirdo. Ah, and this is what bothers you uh, about a video about BTK, that he didn't kill as efficiently as other monsters. User Low Life, how fitting that name, Low Life. This is the kind of person who's taken their interest in serial killer to a very unhealthy level. Uh, like like forgetting that they're they're actually killers. This isn't like a, a movie. This isn't a video game. Real people with real families have died. You know, these aren't professional athletes and, and you know with stats to be casually examined. You know, Jesus Christ. They're reminders, these people, that you can't blindly trust the world around you because monsters live amongst us. The fact that he killed anyone at all should bother you far more than how he did it. The tale of BTK should outrage you, you sick fuck. Uh, I get morbid fascination with serial killers. I mean, I, clearly I have it. I'm doing an episode about BTK and I've done others. But, but, but don't let it run over into total apathy. You know, I still get outraged. Someone Saying someone is like a D-list serial killer implies that there's an A-list. You know, like, like they should be heralded. Like, this guy. Yeah, let me, let me introduce you to Ted. Let me introduce you to Ted Bundy. This guy, he knows how to do his job. He fucking knocks out of the park. Every time. No, they're pieces of shit, all of them. Their lives, all of their lives, have less value than the most forgettable non-serial killer who has ever lived. Yeah, their names will live in infamy, you know? They'll be forever, but not in a good way. I, I would rather have no one know that I lived at all than have a billion people know I was a complete and total degenerate piece of shit. All right, so last thoughts, kind of wrap up about Dennis Rader. Uh, once apprehended, he, he he confessed pretty quick. He resisted for a moment, but then when they told him about his name being on the computer disk, he just he just poured it all out. Uh, he told them all they wanted to hear and more. Talked for literally thirty hours of taped confessions over the course of a few days. Confessed to everything. Uh, seemed proud of it. He was disappointed uh, that the police had lied to him about the disk. Uh, he really thought they were getting along well and that he could trust him. Yeah, he was that crazy. It actually, that actually bothered him. Uh, he was charged with 10 counts of first-degree murder. The Congregation of Christ Lutheran Church, where he was president, was left stunned, confused, bewildered. Of course they were. The death penalty was not in effect for the period of his killings. Uh, it, would, it would apply, again, to murders committed after 1994. So that was not on the table for him, unfortunately. Uh, his trial began on June 27, 2005. Uh, his wife filed for and was granted a divorce on July 26th. And again, uh, I, I know that there are problems with the death penalty when I say these kind of things. I know that there's people who have put, put there wrongly, falsely convicted, and that's why we got to be careful with it. 
But it seems like there should be like an obvious clause. Like if you've obviously killed and confessed to a lot of people, then, then there should be an exception. Anyway, uh, Raider, uh, he's now 60 years old, was given the maximum sentence permitted by laws in Kansas at the time, 175 years to life, eligible for parole in 2180, long after he'll be dead. He's left in solitary confinement. He gets to shower three times a week. He gets to come out of his cell for an hour of activity a day. Uh, so, you know, 23 hours, he's just left in there alone. Good. But through good behavior, he has earned reading and TV privileges, which I think is ridiculous. I think he should only be able to read hate mail. He should only be allowed to watch videos of people making fun of his dumb ass, but that's, that's me. Uh, he's been interviewed numerous times over the years. Many of those interviews are on YouTube and elsewhere. If you're curious, a uh, little Googling will pull up a lot of BTK. In October 2017, very recently, Netflix's crime drama, Mindhunter, a critically acclaimed show, uh, one of its serial killer characters is known as the ADT Man, and that is, of course, based on Raider. His daughter, Carrie, and, and Charlie Otero have recently spoke out about the devastating effects Dennis has had on their lives. You can find some articles uh, about, about that as well on the web. Dennis is currently 72 years old, incarcerated at the El Dorado Correctional Facility in El Dorado, Kansas, a mere 35-minute drive from Wichita, part of his old stomping grounds. Uh, he really, really just never left the area. And now it is time for Top 5 Takeaways. Time suck. Top 5 Takeaways. Number one, Dennis Rader, a.k.a. the BTK Killer, killed 10 people in Wichita from 1974 to 1991 and terrorized Wichita until 2005. The acronym BTK stands for Bind, Torture, Kill. Number two, when BTK resurfaced in 2004, it had been 13 years since he'd killed anyone. He could have gotten away with all of it, but he needed to harass the people of Wichita and local authorities more than he needed to tie people up and kill them. Number three, Dennis Rader had a normal childhood. No out-of-the-ordinary physical abuse for a religious household of the 1940s, 50s, or 60s. No broken home. You know, no out-of-the-picture dad. No sexual abuse. He just seems to have been born a sadistic sociopath. That little feeling of guilt you have when you've done something you know is wrong, or maybe even have if you just think about doing something you know is wrong, he does not have that. Number four, Dennis Rader first contacted the local Wichita Press and took credit for his first kills in 1974, and he was still contacting local press and authorities and taunting them about his crimes in 2005. He terrorized a city for over 30 years. That's almost as scary to me as the killings themselves. Number five, new info. Over the years, Raider kept detailed notes on the people he wanted to kill, the people he stalked. He called them projects. While he killed 10 people, he actually had files on a total of 55 human beings. 55. 45 additional people were on BTK's kill list and got away. People whose movements were recorded, their habits were monitored, people he watched but eventually deemed too risky to murder, or they weren't home when he knocked. Or... They were at Michael McDonald's concerts. He was touring for most of BTK's killing years. Triple M could have saved, I'm guessing, a good 30 of those extra lives. Hail Triple M. Hail Nimrod. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Well, thanks for listening to the BTK edition of Time Suck, everybody. Uh, now, some of those announcements that used to be at the top of the show... I want to thank everybody again for all the iTunes and Facebook reviews this past week. They help so much, and they keep coming in, and I'm so grateful. And, and thanks for following The Suck on social media, at Time Suck Podcast on IG, Twitter, and Facebook. I'll, hopefully on social media in the next few weeks, I'll be getting some uh, picks up uh, of moving into the new studio and getting that set up, which is going to be a lot of work, but uh, very exciting. Uh, beta test on the app has been going well. 
first version of Time Suck app is going to be out, uh, you know, this Monday, December 4th, unless some horrible calamity befalls us. So be gone, Lucifina. Stay away from the suck this week. And then we'll have a few months to get the secret suck ready, man. Get the lizard Illuminati shit going. Add a few more updates, troubleshoot the app a bit more. Really excited to have that app out. I I think it's an awesome podcast player already. You know, you click a button, you know, you get immediate access to PDFs of show notes from every episode. Just one of the uh, fun features with it you're not going to find on some other app. And uh, and also, if you didn't already hear, Time Suck is on Spotify. Uh, Currently, it's on the Spotify app only. Not on the desktop version. Hopefully that'll change, but at least it's on there. And and I know things are still fucked up on Google Play. I cannot get them to fix it. So annoying. So irritated with Google Play. Uh, I've emailed them many, many times now about like what is going on with this last episode only showing up as 55 minutes there and showing up completely fine everywhere else. Uh, hopefully when the app comes out, if you're a Google Play user, you, you can just get the app and start using that instead. Because uh, again, I, I, I can't... I can't fix it on their end. I can <laughs> I can only send the proper feed to them, and that's been done. Uh, Time suck is uh, days away from being on YouTube as well, and uh, not gonna no videos, not for now, uh, at, at least. But every episode will exist on the Time Suck YouTube channel in its entirety because time, YouTube is actually the only place that I can you know directly upload to. Everything else I, I I upload to the episodes to a site that kicks the RSS feed out to every place else. But YouTube, I can actually get the the episodes there. And unless YouTube crashes, they're going to be there to listen to. So I just want that to be a place where, it, you know, if the suck isn't working for you on whatever app you usually use, go to YouTube. It'll be there and you can listen to it. So that is coming real, real quick. Uh, the new employee of Time Suck, uh, Mr. Josh Krell, has been cranking those out the past few weeks. A lot of rendering. On the, on the big files on his computer. And it's, uh, it's the final hours of the Black Friday through Cyber Monday sale. 25% off everything in the timesuckpodcast.com sale when you use the promo code Hail Nimrod at checkout. A lot of the shirts are already sold out in various sizes. Going to take a minute to restock those. Sorry about that. Uh, you know, I just never know how many things are going to sell. New shirts coming in soon. Thanks to everybody so much who bought merch this past weekend. Uh, I've already rolled that money back into helping pay for the new studio recording equipment. And thanks to those of you who use the Amazon affiliate button at timesuckpodcast.com today to do your do your uh, shopping, supporting the suck while you while you get your Cyber Monday deals. Special thanks to Time Suckers Mike Aldrich, Dylan Horsch, Taylor Sandell, Heather Avery, Brandon Stover, Ryan Saunders, Matt Wolf, Hannah Carpenter, Riley King, anyone else I missed for suggesting today's topic. I hope you liked it. And if you want to send in your own topics, email them to bojangles at timesuckpodcast.com. Next week, we're taking a total left turn, and we're getting weird. We're getting real weird. We're going into Pizzagate. I've heard about it for a long time from a lot of you suckers. I finally looked into it myself. Holy shit. It's just a strange fake scandal slash conspiracy theory slash just pure craziness. Uh, it's just, it's just you know, wackadoodle theory that many people still believe in. Uh, <laughs> the falsely claims that emails made public by WikiLeaks in the fall of 2016 emails from Hillary Clinton's campaign manager contained coded messages referring to some child sex ring that involved numerous members of the Democratic Party, including the Obamas. You know, just all these Democrats, man. Just fucking, their their whole career is based on just getting powerful enough to fuck a bunch of kids. This is uh, Flat Earth meets Lizard Illuminati type hysteria. This is some Alex Jones type of lunacy. The edit to the internet segment alone is going to be off the charts this next week. How exactly did this theory begin? What exactly is it claiming? How did it evolve to become known as Pedogate? How did it start to evolve to New World Order? So much conspiracy, not insanity. 
And uh, and I know some of you, you know, critiqued me about using the conspiracy nut term, like it makes all conspiracies and the people who believe them seem crazy. No, some conspiracies are legit, and some are fucking whack and noodle. <laughs> some are just out there, and the, and the ones who believe those are nuts. And this is one of those. It's gonna get bonkers. Uh, the most interesting slash scary part of these to me is always how many people believe them. So now let's get to the cult of the curious. Time for some time sucker updates. First update, just a simple shout-out, man. Please don't be mad if you send in a request like this and it didn't make the show. Get a lot of these. And sometimes they just, you know, uh, they come in at the right time when I'm prepping the episode and, and and someone gets through. And this one is from Morgan Miller. Time sucker Morgan Miller says, Hear this, Dan, you beautiful bastard. My boyfriend and I are huge fans of your material. Our birthdays are super close together. His is December 2nd. Mine is the 5th. It would make my day if you could have uh, give him a happy birthday shout-out on your podcast. No pressure, but it would... It would make my day as well. Keep on sucking, Morgan Miller. Praise be to Nimrod and his prophet Bojangles. Well, happy birthday, Morgan, and other person who you did not name, uh, whose name you did not give me. Happy <laughs> happy birthday, Morgan's boyfriend. Man, people do this all the time. It cracks me up. You know, after a show, hey, can you sign this book for my brother? Uh, yeah, if, if you can give me his name, that will be helpful, since I have never met this human being that you know very well, but I have not met once. So, you know, happy birthday to Morgan and, and Morgan's person. And Morgan's special someone. And now for uh, another unnamed sucker. This is from someone uh, from referring to themselves as the schizo sucker. Saying, to the sucker most high, I am a relatively new convert to the curious and a sucker of the suck. I have been blazing through all your previous teachings and servings of the suck. And as my loyalty and curiosity continue to grow, so does my respect. I am a schizophrenic. And like most people with mental health issues, I can tell you that we are not usually painted in a good light. And we're usually described as dangerous. And the amazing thing is that you've done just the opposite. I really, I don't really know how, but you continue to talk, about, continue to talk about all these crazy fucks and everything they have done, and not once have you implied that people, that all people with mental health issues could be or are dangerous, like the subjects of the suck. It's a rarity these days to not be so quickly judged. So thank you for being compassionate and understanding. Your loyal soldier of the suck. Praise be to Nimrod, the schizo sucker. Well, thank you, schizo. I, I appreciate that. I, I, I don't think. Uh, being a paranoid schizophrenic makes you inherently dangerous or a bad person or anything. You just got some, uh, you know, you just got some stuff to deal with. Uh, but we all do. We all have our stuff. We all have our quirks, some more serious than others. And not all just happen to have names, you know, or labels. I I've met people with so-called serious mental illness that seem a whole hell of a lot more stable and less crazy to me than, you know, uh, undiagnosed so-called, you know, regular people I've met who seem just fucking bonkers. Love you fucking nuts. I'm I'm one of you. My head is a hornet's nest of self-doubt, uh, bouts of you know mania, paranoia, occasional thoughts of murder. I haven't I haven't went into to get diagnosed, but I would not be surprised if I had uh, one or or a few things. Not joking there. I probably ah, I feel I feel loony tuny all the time. Uh, update on an update. Hey, remember uh, the Rocket Man and Flat Earther Mike Hughes from last week's update or last episode's update? Well, he never launched his homemade rocket over the weekend. Uh, surprise, surprise, he did not have the required federal permits for his motorhome slash rocket launcher. Plus, he had some mechanical problems because he doesn't know how to build a fucking rocket because he's an idiot. If he does finally launch, uh, someone please let me know. All right, last one for today. We end on an epic tale of an email sent in by Time Sucker and Wordsmith Grant Shepard. A clever bastard, if there ever was one. He writes, Dear Great Chief <laughs> Stumbles on Words. Oh, do I ever. Hear this. 
I just finished listening to your latest podcast, and I'm pleased to tell you that the Dyatlov Pass incident is no longer a mystery because slap me silly and call me Sherlock, I have cracked the case. In the Dyatlov episode, you mentioned that the hikers might have been attacked by a jingle jangle. Now, Grant here is referring to a monster that I, I in that episode, uh, went on to admit that I just made up, the jingle, the jingle jangle. I said, it could have killed the hikers in the same way that Bigfoot could have. You know, I was just stating that if you're going to blame Bigfoot, some monster that, <laughs> that I don't think is real, uh, anything else is up for grabs, including stuff I just make up on the fly. So Grant continues. And I said to myself, hey, self, that sounds familiar. Well, 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 after a few Googles later, I came across two mythical creatures, not one. You may be familiar with that I believe are responsible for the downfall of the hikers. None other than Jingle and Jangle, two elves from Santa's workshop. Now, we know that Jingle and Jangle are operative elves who range from the North Pole in order to defend Christmas at all costs, even traveling as far as Southtown, USA. So it is even more likely that Jingle and Jangle would encounter the hikers in Russia, a place just a few miles from the North Pole, a.k.a. Santa's workshop. Now, you may say, hey, genius, the Dyatlov Pass is actually thousands of miles away from the Arctic Circle, let alone the North Pole, and I would say, how dare you use that condescending tone with me, and if you ever put your hands on me again, I will call the police, you son of a bitch. I would also say, well, Dan, that's where you're wrong again. You're forgetting that the Earth is actually flat. If you look at the actual map of the world, you'd see that the North Pole is, in fact, just a hop, skip, and a reindeer jump away. But did Jingle and Jangle kill the hikers? Would two jolly elves be capable of murder in cold blood? Probably not. So what did kill them? Well, what other fierce Christmas critters are known to prey on elves and hikers? Abominable snowmen, also known as Bumble, of course. These winter monsters, not to be confused with yetis, are known to be fiercely territorial and attack anything including elves, reindeers, and humans, like the late great prospector Yukon Cornelius. See the resemblance to the victims? And what else do we know about Bumbles? They bounce! A roughly 60-foot adult male Bumble, weighing roughly 3 to 4 tons in full bounce, would generate enough concussive force to cause internal hemorrhaging and pressure fractures consistent with the hikers' fatal injuries. The other hikers, outside of the bounce blast radius, would be disoriented and dazed, leaving them to succumb to hypothermia later. So timeline. The hikers are awakened by Jingle and Jangle, investigating the campsite. Obviously scared of being caught and placed on the naughty list, the hikers cut their way through the side of their tent to sneak out. They are swiftly caught by the two veteran Christmas soldiers and marched down the slope in an orderly fashion to be interrogated in Santa's workshop. Unbeknownst to them, but beknownst to us, they are led right into the territory of a pissed-off bumble. Two of the hikers seize the opportunity to attack their captures and run, resulting in the injuries to their knuckles. Another scales up a tree, causing... A tree to escape, causing the scraping injuries from the tree. The bumble then bounces, crushing the ribcage of the other hiker and immediately killing another with internal head injuries. Jingle and Jangle fly off on a reindeer to safety, drawing the bumble away and leaving everyone for dead. What happened to their eyes and tongues, you ask? Stop asking so many questions. Why do you think you're so smart? Have a little faith, asshole. So I hope this clears everything up for you and your listeners. Hail Nimrod and happy Thanksgiving. Love, long-time listener, first-time emailer, your loyal sucker, Grant Shepard, a.k.a. he with too much time on hands. P.S. I hope you take this email with a grain of salt, maybe some tequila, and also lime. I'm a huge fan of your comedy, love the podcast, can't wait to be a space lizard, and I hope to see you live sometime soon. Give Bojangles and Penny a nice pet for me and keep on sucking. Grant, that was fucking beautiful. I love how creative and clever so many of you time suckers are. Oh, thanks for making the entertainment a two-way street. Thanks, time suckers. I needed that. 
We all did. Well, have a great week, everybody. Keep spreading the suck. Don't be a serial killer. Keep having fun with learning some new stuffs. And, uh, you know, keep on sucking. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you suddenly had an extra hour show up in your day every day, what would you do with it? Work out, sleep, read a book, play Fortnite, call your mom, take judo lessons, finally watch all the episodes of Shameless. A lot of us spend a lot of our time wishing we had more time. But why? Time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The bad news is that you're not going to get that 25th hour. But... What you can probably do is reprioritize where you spend some of your time. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it with your time. This year, my health is more important to me than cranking out another stand-up special as fast as possible. So I canceled a tour, sacrificed that income, and decided to spend a lot of the time I just got back working out more, resting more, relaxing more, and enjoying time with family, friends, and just myself. And I'm so glad I did. I feel better than I have in a long time. And my BetterHelp therapist, Debbie, was very helpful in getting me to make the decision to pull back. Thank you, Debbie. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash TimeSuck today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash time suck.